Welcome to the Creative Push, an intimate and diverse artist interview series. Here, artists and makers of all kinds share tips, advice, knowledge, and inspiration that you can learn from. I'm your host, Sherry O'Neill, a photographer, artist, writer, and educator. This series is a part of the Learn and Create platform to help artists further their education in creativity, art, and business. Today, I have Carl Wachner. He is from Australia originally, moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 2016. He is a musician, a singer, a songwriter, and a master of a lot of things that we're going to talk about today in this interview. Welcome. Thanks. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and your music. Did you have any influences as a kid? Actually, a lot of musical influence. My mom played a little piano and sang two octaves too high every time she ever did. (laughs) And then my dad was a music listener. He just loved, he loved anything that wasn't on the radio. So all of the records and vinyl collection that's now totally scratched because us kids destroyed it all was was all like really instrumental, like back catalog B-sides and stuff. He was really really into that sort of thing and anything a little bit crazy and quirky. I, I would just tap on stuff and I didn't really dive into musicianship. I was one of four kids, the eldest, and we could do a sport and a musical instrument when we got into school. So we all just kept bouncing around random instruments and, and stuff. And I started with violin when I was seven, went to do trumpet, but the school didn't have any trumpets. <laughs> so, I, so I did uh, I did piano for a year when I was probably 10 and then picked up the guitar somewhere around 15 and bands and school and that sort of thing. But yeah, when I was a kid, dad being a builder, we'd always have heaps of random stuff around the house. And so I'd mod things and make random things and noise. Were you super interested at 15 then when you picked up the guitar? Was that when you kind of knew that was something you wanted to pursue or was it still at the time just something fun that you enjoyed doing? It was just fun. I th- Honestly, I think I picked it up because there was other kids in school that did it. There was that, but then also my auntie had a guitar and I found it at my grandparents' place. And I was like, wow, this is great. And I re- remember opening the case. If you open the case of a guitar that hasn't been opened for a long time, or if it's a really old guitar, if you open the case and like smell the sound hole, like it's, I can't describe it apart from if you're ever on a farm or something and you smell hay, it just, it just puts you in this place, you know, and like, and that, that did it for me. I, I got that guitar and then nobody was using it. So my um, grandparents said, yeah, have at it, uh, use it, get some lessons or do whatever you want to do. And so I, I played and I got a small handful of lessons and then I saved up and bought my own guitar are any of your siblings musical or into music at all other than maybe listening not other than listening well when we we're at school they did different instruments but it was always just one season or one semester and then move on to the next thing or whatever when i learned guitar i didn't really learn it so much as just play it at school all the time in my lunch break and with with school bands i feel like you find oh that person's a drummer and she's a really good singer and he's a really great bass player or whatever it is and let's all jam and so you'd get together in the lunch break and play very bad cover versions of songs (laughs) and try out everybody else's instruments and that's kind of where it went for a little while but then at the end uh in the last two years of school for us there was like two or three bands at school that had names and if it was like a, a school disco or a party or something then they would play a set or whatever it was and when i was probably 17 16 or 17 we got our first gig i think it was like a 40th birthday party at a country club and i didn't even really get the gig the, the other band got the gig but they didn't have a bass player for the night their bass player couldn't do it but i had a bass amp that I was using for a PA system. So I was 
plugging my microphone and acoustic guitar into a bass amp <laughs> thinking I was super cool. And so they were like, oh, you got a bass amp. If the bass player lets you borrow his bass guitar, can you play bass for us for this gig and we'll pay you? And it paid like 35 bucks or something. And I was like, whoa, this 35 bucks is the best thing ever. And I was 16, I think. Did you go to college for music or anything like that? Or No, no I went to university uh, in Australia. I did a Bachelor of Learning Management, so a teaching degree. I'm a fully qualified primary school teacher. At that stage, I'd play a lot more shows. I was playing a lot of like solo, duo, band sort of stuff, just in the covers circuit around the pubs and clubs. And I would play on the weekends during Monday to Friday, midweek. I'd do my studies. At the end of my degree, I had paid off my entire debt for my university tertiary studies. And then I was kind of like, do I teach or do I play music? And music was paying better and it was music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yes. a hard decision. What made you decide to move to Nashville? I don't know if it was any one thing. From 2010, I first came over to Nashville. Uh, Mike Flanders, he's my first producer I ever had who did my first album. Uh, he's from Australia. He was in Australia at a music festival that I was performing at. I was playing a lot of shows, started playing original shows, touring festivals, etc. over in Australia. And so I met him. He was a mutual friend of a friend. He said, oh, I live in Nashville. And we got sort of got talking and um, talking about songwriting and stuff. And he said, you should come over one time. And we just kind of went, screw it. Let's, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I booked the flights and I came over here. It was Christmas time. It was pretty cold. We just booked a few songwrites. And, uh, and we just kind of hung out and I met some people and I think I wrote like 20 songs. I was only here for 10 days. There was a lot of really good content. He hooked me up with some, um, some great songwriters, some big names that I, in hindsight, was starstruck at the fact that I <laughs> wrote a song with that person. It was just a really good experience. And so I booked maybe for four or five months later. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back. I'm going to record these songs. I saved up all my money and sunk everything that I had into that, which was nothing at the time. <laughs> and uh, as an independent artist, that's a lot of money, but very happy with that product. And that's called, uh, that's called Crayon Days. It's my only full-length album that I've put out a lot of songs at this point. But it was a nice little uh, collaboration of work. And then that was out the following year after we'd finished everything. And then uh, basically two years later, I just thought, you know what, let's rinse and repeat. That was really great. I was kind of coming over to Nashville probably once a year, once every two years. There was some event that I was performing at down in Sydney, Australia. I was touring at the time. Somebody offhandedly said something like, you need to take more risks. And they didn't even know me. They didn't know anything about me. I don't even know if they were right in saying that to me, but I took that on board as a thought that maybe I am playing it safe. And at the time I had one kid, one little girl, she was a year old and my wife, and we were living in Queensland uh, in the Sunshine Coast, beautiful part of the world. And we were like, should we just go to Nashville? Every time I ever go over there, the people res I resonate with really well. I get in a really creative place. Um, I'm the best version of myself as a musician when I'm in Nashville. And it wasn't necessarily just Nashville. It was the US. It was out of home. It was out of my comfort zone. It was the fact that while I'm here, I better do something because this isn't my house right now. My wife, she uh, she was like, let's just go. The kids will follow. They don't know anything. <laughs> so, you know, so we just bought and by the time um, we moved, I had a, an eight, a year and a half old boy and a, a three-year-old girl. And so we moved over here with 10 suit cases and uh and we landed 
and then all the wheels fell off about a week after we landed because there was a situation with a booking agent that uh, I'd paid a lot of money and and sunk a lot of energy and time and stuff into the, the six months prior to us moving. And we moved over here and there was this big long list of shows that I was going to be playing, but there was no contracts yet or this was, this was coming through or whatever it was and in hindsight, 2020. But we landed in America and uh, and I had four gigs <laughs> and I lost money on them because I had to pay for two of them to have sound engineers and stuff. And so pretty much the first two years of us living here was just hustle city and so i just went back to me 10 years ago as in 10 years prior to me moving <laughs> to nashville <laughs> being the the covers musician playing at pubs and clubs and you know what i wouldn't change a thing but um now we've been here for five and a half years my family and i like to travel and see the world and my wife loves to travel with two young kids we like to take them around especially with the summers here in the u.s they're like three months long and that's when I'm touring the most. And so we get to travel and I take them to Florida or, or Ohio or Michigan or Texas or whatever. It's really nice because of that. I always feel settled whenever I'm with my family. I feel like people should travel more. And it's surprising how many places I've been that I've met people, not just in the US, but all around that, that they go, oh, Australia. I, I've always loved, I, I've always loved Australia. I'd love to go to Australia. And then you go, you follow up and go, oh, that's cool. Where have you traveled? Well, I haven't been anywhere. <laughs> it turns out the story is they haven't even left their state or they haven't left their quadrant of the world or whatever. And you're like, it's just mind blowing how big a place this is for people that not know what else is out there. I always feel comfortable being anywhere that I am, as long as I'm not rushed. Something that's been really hard through COVID is that we haven't been able to visit Australia. And so we we kind of made a bit of an internal pact with, with us that we're going to go back every single year for like a month or two months. And that's when I do my summer touring in Australia at the end of the year in sort of December, Christmas. We see the family and we catch up with everybody. I do my shows in Australia and then we come back. And I heard a really good saying through COVID that uh, we're not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm. And that was really cool because everybody kept saying we're all in the same boat. It's like, well, we're not because some people are booming because of COVID. Some people are devastated because of COVID. Some people are homeless because of COVID. So you don't know where you are on the spectrum. You don't know what somebody else is going through. You have no clue on the street. At the start of COVID, like most other musicians, all gigs got cancelled. And for anybody that's like me as an independent artist, I can't just go a year without playing shows and live on my live streaming royalties. And so I dug into virtual shows. And so I'm in my studio right now. I played a lot of virtual shows. I still do actually a lot of virtual shows for private events and corporate stuff and just people wanting to have a good time. So, and I've kind of turned inward into my original shows and into my YouTube stuff. I've just realized that no matter what happens, whenever you look back on something, you never regret anything that happened because there's always something amazing that's going on right now that you wouldn't trade a thing for. It made me look into original stuff more. I was playing a lot of cover shows, still playing original shows, but I was playing a lot more cover shows than I wanted to. And so now I'm playing a lot more original stuff. I'm focusing more on my content, me doing what I planned to do when I moved here. So I didn't move over across the other side of the world and bring my wife and two kids to play at a dive bar for $50 downtown Nashville. It just made me kind of realize what is important and what my goal was and is, and it made me double down on it. And so for that, I wouldn't trade. Is your wife musical at all? Yeah, she is. She's uh, actually got a great voice and she has a cello. 
Yeah, she's classically trained, actually, which blows my mind because I'm the absolute opposite. Everything's by ear. I'll hear a song. Uh, yeah, that's G. Okay, that's F. She is classically trained. She reads sheet music, and it's incredible. I wrote a song to propose to my wife with, and then I wrote a song to sing to her on our wedding day. It's like, here we are. We're getting married kind of deals. And so it's called Husband to Be. It was one that I sang to her before we actually got married. And it's got cello on it. And at that stage in my life, I was really ripping on Damien Rice. I don't know if you're familiar with Damien oh, yeah. Rice, mm -hmm. but he is incredible. And so I love the song, The Blower's Daughter. So that was one of our songs that we had on our wedding. And I just love the cello. And my head was like, when I record this song, I'm going to get Carly to play cello on this song. And it was a really interesting way to do it because usually if you get a cello player to record in the studio, you go, here's the sheet music, and then you go, ready, go. And then we're recording and they play the sheet music almost perfectly. Whereas I go, well, just, you know, just make something up. I don't, I don't know how to write sheet music. We were, we were both from totally opposite ends of the spectrum. So I don't know how to write sheet music. She doesn't know how to play without having sheet music in front of her. So I'm trying to figure it out. So here I am, like, playing the guitar going. Okay, what's that note? And then I'm like, okay, that's G, G, A, B, D, you know. And so I just wrote out on an A4 piece of paper, like, G, A, you know, G, A, B, D kind of thing. And so I just wrote all the letters and then I, like, hummed it. And so she could play the note between the two of us. We were one okay session cello player. <laughs> and so we made it all the way through. And the recordings out there, it's, you know, it's shaky in some parts or whatever, but I, I, I would change a thing. I recorded it myself. Dodgy bedroom in our old house in Australia with a really cheap microphone with cracked software that I found on an old computer I had. But we did that and then played a couple of shows to launch that EP. And the first show, her cello, she had a normal cello and it was mic'd up for the show. I was getting heaps of feedback as the way that it was mic'd. My wife hates that she calls them ghetto mods, what I do, <laughs> like to like mod something to make it better. I feel like it's the best, but she rolls her eyes every single time. So so I made a pickup for her cello. It was uh, basically, you can get a door buzzer, which is like the size of a quarter. And it's got two little wires coming out of it. And you buy it for like a dollar 30 from an electrical store. If you wire that to a guitar cable and run it through a mixer and do a couple of sound things, you can stick that with some gaffer tape on the body of a cello. And it doesn't sound incredible, but it's a pickup. So you can plug it in like you plug in a guitar. And so I made that and plugged it in. And then the little joint broke on the second show that we did. And so my bass player had to hold it together while she was playing it. <laughs> so the third show, we nailed it. It was the last show that we did to do that EP and how, how we did it. But I got two door buzzers and hooked them both up at the same time. <laughs> like, uh, well, if that one dies, then at least this one's still good. She freaked out uh, the whole time, but uh, we had a really good time. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying the creative push. These artist interviews are a labor of love, but it sure would help if you'd consider supporting this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain the work and time it takes for me to produce future episodes. You can click the support button or you can click the link below in the show notes. Any support is greatly appreciated and you can cancel at any time. Either way, I'm glad to have you here. Please subscribe and share. Now let's get back to the show. How did you get into the looping? What was the reasoning? Was that just because you wanted your music to sound like a full band and you wanted to be the full band but have full control over all that? 
Part of it's control, but that wasn't the reason. No, I played in bands for years and every different instrument, actually, except for keys. I played acoustic guitar, electric guitar lead, played bass for a while. I played drums in some bands. In Australia, I would play solo acoustic or if I was playing like a big festival show or a big ticketed show on tour, then I would have my band and we would play. But the last four or five years that I was in Australia, when I was playing a solo show, I would do a live looping show. And then if it was a big festival show, then I would do the band. But there was two versions of me as a performer. When I started coming over to the US, I noticed that basically nobody loops. Everybody either plays just straight up acoustic, raw acoustic and vocals, or they have a band. And there's really no in between. If you don't have a band, it just means you're not big enough or can't afford one. Basically went, well, nobody's doing this. I'm going to dive in a little more to the looping thing and just own the fact that I loop. I was already looping in Australia anyway. I just also had the band, but I basically said, why confuse it? Let's keep it consistent and do the looping thing. And the thing I love about looping is I'm particular, so I guess I could be the, the chef in my kitchen, right? I liken it to playing a game of golf against somebody, right? And this other person, the band, has got a brand new set of clubs that's fit to them. They've got 14 golf clubs and everything's amazing. And then there's me, that's the looper that's playing with three golf clubs. You wouldn't expect us to be on par. To the listener, the unique factor is the fact that I can almost get the same sonic characteristics as the band, clearly without any of the band. The cool thing is, is you can also, you can have different conversations with the audience too. You can show people how you build stuff and why this is good to do this. Whereas in a band, you can't just stop and say, let's talk about bass. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about bass guitar, everybody? I have those opportunities to actually talk to people about music. And, and I feel that I have an obligation to educate people. Part of this is a pride thing, is that I do something in my gig, like this little trick or something, that I go, actually, I'm good at that little trick thing. And then I realize that nobody has a clue that that's a hard thing to do <laughs> or that that's even a thing. I want to explain it so that if they ever see it, they go, oh, I realize that that's not a normal thing to do or a different mm -hmm. thing or a unique thing or, or interestingly done. Part of it's educating people to be good listeners. My end game would be me with a little crew so I can have a live engineer and a lighting person and that camaraderie to the road. And when you're traveling with a group of people, it really, it's really nice. How many albums do you have out right now? I have one album. Them and I have four or five EPs and then probably another dozen singles. Did you yeah. produce all those yourself or did you hire someone to do that with you? Well, the first EP I produced and then the first album I did, which was the one in Nashville with Michael Flanders, he basically produced it. I co-produced on a small level as an artist and having some say, you know, oh, I think we should do this and this, but he, he kind of acted more as the producer. And then since then, it's about 50-50. Some of the songs I've just produced myself and I've recorded and done everything here myself. All of my latest probably 12 singles. Actually, my original producer's son, Ben Flanders, is a really good friend of mine and an incredible pop producer. And so I've been working with him for the last, for the last couple of years uh, worth of singles. And it's very much been a, a co-producer thing, push-pull mm -hmm. kind of vibe, which is incredible. I wish every musician could get a piece of what the relationship that I have with Ben. It is unbelievable. It's better than walking into a room 
in being told exactly what to do. Play this here, do this here. I have a vision. You just be the puppet, right? I like to relinquish control to people that I really trust. And he's definitely one of those people. And he he pushes me in a certain direction and I push him in a certain direction. And we end up with this thing that neither of us believed we could have come up with, but it's incredible. Why did you decide to cut your dreadlocks off? So I had them for 12 years. Really, the reason I had them was because my now wife was my girlfriend and I just cut my hair at the time and she said, you'd look pretty good with dreadlocks. And I was like, awesome. What girlfriend says, you know, <laughs> you should get dreadlocks, you know? And so I grew my hair out and I was like, woo! And so I got dreads and the rest is kind of history up until six months ago. And I was kind of scared to cut them off because really the red glasses and the dreads were kind of a logo thing now and an unintentional thing that just ended up being the, oh, it's the guy with the dreads and the red glasses. I always said, whenever I end up cutting off my dreads, I'm not just going to cut them off. I want to do something. I want to raise money for something or do the shave for a cure or all, all of those things. We were revamping the logo. Same thing, dreads, red glasses, but just drawing the dreadlocks a bit of a different way. And I've got a, a fan group on Facebook. I, I like to share things with them. And so I said, hey, what do you think of the new idea of the logo? And everybody's comment revolved around the glasses. Nobody said anything about the dreads. They just said, well, yeah, I like the glasses on this one. I like the glass. Everything was the glasses. And I'm like, the, the whole thing that I've been worried about cutting off dreads, removing an element of my logo, maybe isn't that big a deal. And so we just started talking about it. And I talked with my wife and kids about it. What do you think if I did this? What should we do? And we just thought, yeah, it's time. You know what? It's it's fresh. COVID, what better time to just do something? So we did it. And there's a few things going on here in Nashville that we wanted to try and connect and, and raise some community awareness and money for. And some things didn't quite line up the way that it was all supposed to with red tape, et cetera, which was frustrating. But we landed on, I just wanted to do something for independent artists. And me being one, that was one of the non-essential workers that people I feel like took for granted. Something that was close to me, I saw a lot of my friends that quit. They'd been full-time music for 15 years and they quit and they're stocking shelves. It was also equally frustrating in me to see posts like, this is my first gig back in a year as a major label signed artist. And obviously they've got a lot of debt, bigger money issues. To me, it was like, you know what? No independent artist could ever even get halfway to having a year off without just totally falling to pieces on the ground. And so I wanted to do kind of an awareness, just an announcement, cut off each individual dreadlock and shout out independent artists, call on a few of my friends and we filmed the whole thing. And basically just to bring it back to music listeners and say, hey, we as independent developing artists are the future of the music industry. If we don't acknowledge that independent artists are the future of the music industry, then all is lost. So that's what we did. We cut them off. And it's cool. And I, I washed my hair like five times in a row. And I just <laughs> keep doing this all the time now. When I was like two, I had this habit of just twisting, like grabbing my hair and just like twisting it like this. And you know what I do now that I don't have dreads anymore? Like I'm sitting on the couch, like sitting back, just doing this, doing what I used to do when I was two years old. It's like, it's just come straight back. It's crazy. Can you give us an overview of the technique that you use with looping 
and how did you learn it? Live looping is when you record on stage and then it plays back in real time and then you can add to it and overdub and control. You can remove things and add things and it becomes the song. How I started, I borrowed a loop pedal from my bass player, a really close friend of mine, Phil, in the sunny coast in Australia. Uh, he wasn't using it and I just borrowed it. I was playing dive bar covers gigs. This is probably like 12 years ago. And all I wanted to do was loop a couple of chords and then just do, do, put a little beat on it or just to try to play a solo over the couple of chords that I do. So it just sounded like a duo was playing, like two acoustic guitarists were playing. And I was never going to be a looper. And I think like everything else, you know, YouTube was out. And the first person I ever saw that was like blew my mind was a guy named Jarl Bernhoft. And he now goes by the name of Bernhoft, I think. It was his artist name. He's a Norwegian dude with big, thick, black rim glasses. Super cool. And he sang this song, um, Come On Talk. And he started the loop. And you could see his foot, like he had two cameras, one foot on the looper. And it was, come on, talk to me. I want trauma. I was to be honest with the child. And then he'd loop a harmony on the top of that, a harmony on top of that. And then he'd add guitar and then he'd do all this stuff. And I was like, man, that's incredible. And I never thought I would ever be that guy. Ever. I was like, no, I'm, I love band too much, you know, and this is just looping is just an extra thing that I could do at my acoustic covers shows. And then just like every other artist, you just want to do a little more and add a little more. And then I got a slightly bigger pedal and I was able to plug a microphone into this one. So I beatboxed a little and then I'd add some stuff. And it was really just a slow burn over the last 12 years of playing, playing shows. Looping just got more and more prevalent. At a point when I started touring a little more and playing bigger original shows with the band, I wanted to step up my non-band shows. So they became a little more looped as a solo thing. That's when I had to make the conscious decision to step up my looping. I made sure I had a nice little rig and I got everything down. A lot of trial and error, mostly trial and error. Having that kind of physical brain mm. element that my dad always sort of taught me. It's like, well, if you don't know something, figure it out, figure out how, how it works. Or if you don't know which pedal to get or which way to plug it, plug it in and you'll soon figure out if that's the wrong way to do it. <laughs> I feel like I've got a pretty good ear for listening for frequencies and what needs to be where and, and how things respond sonically mm -hmm. in a mix. And since I knew I was moving to Nashville or when I, when I got here and I'm like, I'm, I'm a looper, I'm going to really focus on this, then... All along the way, I just went, what's the biggest show I would ever play in the next year? I need to be ready to play that show right now. So I want to have all of my equipment. I want to have everything down. I feel like as an artist, you need to be ready to play the shows before you're ready. You can't be a builder and wait for the client to call you to do a massive house renovation and then go and buy the tools and learn how to use right. them. So I just keep putting music first in that. You buy the right equipment once and you get it done right. And if it's important, then you'll make a commitment and get it done. What does creativity mean to you? Uh, that's a cool question. <laughs> creativity is calling on all of your experiences and influences and making a decision to create something that you think is awesome and as, as unique as it could be to you as an individual. Where do you find your inspiration for creativity? I fall in love with the snare drum sound on the demo version of Sunday Morning by Maroon 5. I like the bass sound on a Jamiroquai, on this particular Jamiroquai song, the live version. And then I like the electric guitar sound 
on John Mayer's Where the Light Is when he's playing Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. I like all of these tones which influence um, ideas. And then music, as in songs and artists, I'm a fan of most genres, Americana country music. Jason Isbell, John Denver. If you ditch all the music element of that and you just read the words, the words will blow your mind. And then you add music, it's so, so good. There's some of the most amazing songwriters in this world. And if you pull away from like my influence of country, I got a really deep love for R&B, soul, even like 90s rap sort of hip hop beats and grooves and stuff, 90s R&B pop or even 80s stuff, Michael Jackson, guys like Jimi Hendrix and George Benson. Oh man, George Benson is incredible. He's one of those guys who always found the pocket in something. And by that, I mean the groove, the beats there, acknowledging the beat is there and going with the beat instead of feeling like you've got your own internal metronome. What do you see in your future? My goals are to play more original shows to substitute predominantly cover shows for original shows. I plan on playing a lot more house concerts. I already do a lot of house shows. A version of me comes out that's different to anything else. When I play at a, at a house show, it's actually meet everybody and high five some people and talk about golf or guitar or geek out over a pedal board because we've got time to do it. We're not, mm-hmm. I'm not showing up to the venues, set up, play the gig, pack down, go. I get to hang out a little. And I think at those kind of venues, you meet so many more people and the, the meeting people conversion to fanship is so much better. And then the, the fanship conversion to friend. I've met so many amazing people at house shows that we still keep in touch, repeat business every time they're in Nashville. My goal for that is to, to build the fan base to a point that I can tour legitimately for shows, for ticketed mm-hmm. shows. So I can get on a tour or I can actually have an official booking agent the thing that I would prefer to do is just be the artist sometimes. And I feel mm-hmm. like you get really detached when you have to field phone calls or, or answer emails a day late because you've had a, three shows in a row right. and you've been driving eight hours today or whatever. I feel like any good business, you just need people on your team and I'd like to be able to expand. So to keep moving forward, I would like to keep being a musician to cover me touring, getting out, playing as many original shows as I can and being able to record and release original music. And to do those two things, that's the overhead. To be able to do that, I can't replace shows with other shows that don't make as much money without then not having enough money to record music. (laughs) Something that I've realized with my music also, and very humbled by is the fact it's reached a point that it's beyond me. I'm very lucky and fortunate to have people and fans that get something out of my music that's different to what they can get from somewhere else. That's another reason for me to keep going and be an artist. And also being a husband and a father, I want my kids to see me as a positive parent and uh, a positive role model for them to really pursue something that they're passionate about. And in a lot of ways, they give me more strength than they ever could be as limitations. You do all your own marketing. Have you found that there's one thing in particular that seems to work better as a musician for you to promote yourself online? Yeah, my YouTube channel's gone a lot better, but for me, it's just being brutally honest. <laughs> but I feel like something that's working well for me is whenever I post something on socials, I usually say, having a rough day, <laughs> this is why. 
but I know it's going to be fine because this. I just want to put this out there in case somebody's having a day like me. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. See you tomorrow. It's going to be good. To me, that gets that off my chest. Then it also gets, dude, I really needed to hear that today because I'm going through the same thing. And it's good to know that we can just talk about this and it's not a perfect world. And then some people have words of encouragement. Some people check in and see if you're okay. And, and I feel like it should be more what social media mm -hmm. is about. That's something that I try and maintain is just me totally being myself. Mm -hmm. You play a, a small-bodied guitar. Is it's there a, a reason? Me and Maiton. So I play Maiton guitars. M-A-T. I don't know if this is mirror imaged or not, but yeah. M-A-T. In my opinion, Maiton guitars easily are the best guitars sound plugged in <laughs> ever. But yeah, this is a normal one. This is a mini. It's pretty small in comparison, but I, I always had just normal, you know, normal dreadnought size guitars and stuff. And then the mini ones, I just bought as a second one. So when I'm touring and need a second guitar or have a different different um, tune, I always just took this one, took it in on the carry-on on the flights. And I just love playing it so much that I'm like, this would become my first guitar. It sounds as big as a big guitar because it's plugged in the same way, but it's cute. And I look like a massive giant ripped man you know <laughs> do you get stuck very often not a lot but it happens there's usually no deadline sometimes i'll just leave it for the next day but what i've found if there is a deadline or you're co-writing with somebody i take it back to writing a rough draft like you're in high school and you got an, an essay to write just get the words out you're never going to have that line in there move on to the next line get it out move on to the next line and and most people are good at seeing a song that's written and rewriting it better. Or I'll just let it simmer in my head for a while and I'll be singing along or I'll get it inspired for an idea and I'll go, oh, that line could be about, okay, cool, and I'll come and rewrite it. And usually it only takes an extra turn. Of all the songs you've written, what is your favourite? Okay, so Crayon Days is my favourite acoustic, honest lyric song. I wrote that with Doug Stokes, a, a local Nashvillian, and actually I wrote that the first trip I ever came to Nashville. Then the resonate here with just lyrics and being a good human and reminding me that I am human is Paint the Air. That's a recent song. And the reason I bring that up is because it's the only lyric that I've actually got tattooed on my arm. And I never thought I'd be the douche that got his own lyric tattooed <laughs> on it. No, but paint the air, paint the sky, paint the love of your life, paint the silence with sound. And so the whole idea for that is this is a, a shout out to my kids. No matter when you walk into a new room or a new experience, it's a blank canvas and you should always look at it as a blank canvas. And then you can paint whatever you want to paint in that room. A lot of us walk into a room with a canvas already painted and it's usually negative. You know, there's sometimes it's like, I don't want to go to that party. It's going to suck. You know, you've already painted the canvas. You've already mm -hmm. started sketching it out whereas really there's nothing there yet and you take a deep breath and you walk through the door with that kind of blank canvas and you can truly make something amazing or you can have the best night of your life i wanted to do that as kind of a as a little message to my kids that i just i want them to be optimistic and then on the music fun end of the spectrum there's my recent single which is called one night wonder i just love that song i love the beat to that song i love how it translates live for me and I love that the message is I'm in charge of my own happiness, me, that's it. No matter what happens, it's how I react to it because I can't change what's happened. 
And then it's kind of funny. Then I just end up through the, through the song, just listing things that are annoying, that are a buzzkill. And then this is how I shook it off. That in combination with lighthearted, good moral, cool beat, it's just a fun summer song. And so those three for very different reasons, I think. Thank you so much, Carl, for letting me do this interview with you. It was great to learn about your journey here and, and what you're working on and what your future is going to look like. I appreciate you letting me interview you for The Creative Push. Absolutely. Absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me share. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my intention is to offer inspiration that excites you to want to get out there and create something amazing. Be sure to check out some of the other episodes. There's more information below in the show notes, including links to other great stories, tips, and resources. Drop me a message or comment at any time, and I hope that you'll sign up to be a part of this creative tribe.